Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Hey everyone, my name is Mark Meckler and I'm the President of Convention of States and this is the Sunday Night Battle Cry. Glad you're with us. I love being home on Sunday nights to do the Battle Cry with you guys. It means I'm home with my family and it means I get a chance to be with you and that's always the best part. So we're gonna run through some news today. We're gonna to hit a lot of stuff going on. Obviously we've got the debate, we've got elections, we've got Israel, we've got some pronoun mandates. God forbid you say the wrong pronouns. So we're gonna cover a bunch of stuff, uh, but first I wanna encourage you to get involved in Convention of States. Go to conventionofstates.com uh, and then file, uh, fill out the petition. That'll get you involved initially. Click on the Take Action tab, Volunteer. And we've got something big going on that I want you guys to help me with. We've got what we call Project POTUS going on. Project P-O-T-U-S. So what we want you to do is if you're out in the field, if you're emailing, if you're a social media person, we want you to encourage the candidates to weigh in on Convention of States. Tell us what their position is on Convention of States. This is all candidates, any party, no party. I don't care who you ask, ask them all. Uh, especially in the early states in Iowa, New Hampshire, the candidates are visiting those places. Go to town halls, ask them public questions about whether they support convention of states uh, and whether they support calling an Article 5 convention. And you can participate in this specifically, learn about it by going to www.conventionofstates.com forward slash POTUS. Vivek Ramaswamy has already weighed in. He is a supporter of Convention of States. Uh, we have Ron DeSantis has weighed in. Governor DeSantis is a longtime supporter of Convention of States. We want to get all the other candidates on record. That's going to be up to you. Conventionofstates.com forward slash POTUS. That's my call to action this week. Get involved. Also, I want to make sure that you watch our simulation movie premiere. So back in August, we had an Article 5 simulated convention. Uh, some of you watched some of that live stream. We have a 15-minute Beautiful summary video of that. That premieres at 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, and that is on 11:21, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Conventionofstates.com forward slash sim s i m. That's conventionofstates.com forward slash sim. So spread that around. You should be watching yourself. I can. You can see Winston here. He's weighing in. He'll be watching. He's trying to torment me. Obviously, as we're recording, he does a great job of that. All right, Winston, go lay down, buddy. One. Uh, all right, let's roll. I've got a lot of stuff I want to talk about this week. I want to get it done quickly and efficiently for you guys. So first, I want to talk to you guys about the debate this week. How many of you watched the debate? Raise your hand. I did not watch the debate. You know, And the reason I would say I didn't watch the debate is it's like the undercard at a boxing match or whatever. It's not the fight anybody comes to see right now. To me, it looks like Donald Trump is the nominee. Whether you love him or hate him, I'm not weighing in saying he should or shouldn't. I'm just saying... It looks like he is going to be the nominee. And so when you see sort of the undercard debating, it's just not as interesting to me. Now, I did watch a bunch of the highlights. I read a bunch of stuff that's been written about it. Kind of looks like exactly what I expected. I mean, look, you have three contenders for second place, I guess you could say. You've got Ron DeSantis, you've got Nikki Haley, uh, and maybe Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't know what Tim Scott and Chris Christie are still doing on the stage. Uh, maybe they're trying to audition for something else in the administration. And when I watched some of the highlights, I was horrified. It seemed juvenile to me. Uh, I mean, when you have uh, Haley calling Vivek scum, and you have, maybe rightly so, you have Vivek going after Haley's daughter for using TikTok, the whole thing was just a mess. I mean, it might have been great for 
popcorn and beer, but not for a presidential debate. And I don't think we're hearing what the nation wants to hear. I don't think we're really hearing how people are going to lead. I don't like the debate formats. I'd rather see a candidate interviewed in a difficult interview, maybe by somebody like Tucker, uh, than watching them, quote unquote, debate each other in sound bites. It's just not something that I find appealing. But be that as it may, I guess, I don't know who you think won. I have no idea who won because, again, I didn't watch. Uh, a lot of people are saying it was Haley. Some people say it's Vivek. I don't know. Take your pick. Ron DeSantis seems to not do a lot, but act the most presidential at these things. I would say he is the most presidential. He's a guy who's actually proven that he can really govern. So you take your pick. Hopefully, if you watched it, you enjoyed it. Maybe you did the beer and popcorn thing and you really enjoyed it. So that's my take on the debate. Uh, let's talk election results, because obviously that's the big thing that happened this week. And we had elections. The big ones were in Virginia, Ohio, Mississippi, Kentucky. Let's start with Virginia. I think that was probably one of the more consequential elections in the country. They are an off-year election, meaning they had their legislative elections this year. So all of their senators, all of their members of the House of Delegates were up for election. And it was a very odd one. Youngkin's a pretty popular governor, Republican, and there was a Republican victory in the last cycle with Youngkin and the Republicans taking their House of Delegates by one seat. That got flipped this time. The governor was not up. He'll be up in two years. He's a one-term governor. He threw his full weight into this. It was not a good night for Republicans. Republicans lost the House. I think they are now at a four or five seat disadvantage in the House. They went from a one seat advantage to a four or five seat disadvantage. Uh, they also did not take the Senate. So now you have the Democrats in control, both the House and the Senate in Virginia. And you have a lot of people saying, well, this sort of portends what's going to happen in the election in 2024. I don't really think so. I mean, I guess you could make that argument, but if you really look at it, it was a very odd election. The entire state had been redistricted. Nobody was running in their normal districts. So you really, in a way, had no incumbents. Uh, you know, one of the strongest Republicans I knew was running against two other Republicans for his seat. I mean, so it just, it was a very weird election cycle. So I don't think you can play out a lot in that. And if you look at the swing, it was very small. I mean, the Republicans actually, uh, in the next off cycle, which will be 2025, have a good chance of taking both the House and the Senate. The numbers still look okay. Now, that being said, Virginia is a state that's trending more and more blue. It's not trending blue because the whole state is trending blue. It's trending blue because Washington, D.C. is spilling out all over northern Virginia. That's a very Democrat area, and that is where the population base is that dominates the state. Really, if you want my opinion, Virginia should be split into two states culturally, geographically, politically, it's really North Virginia and South Virginia. And I would feel way more at home in South Virginia. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that's what you're seeing in Virginia. So the trend may be blue, but I don't think this portends anything for the coming elections in 2024. So that's Virginia. Ohio had an important election. They had issue one and issue two. Those were propositions on their ballot. Uh, citizen propositions. They can be voted on by citizens to change their constitution. And what they did is they ensconced in their constitution abortion until birth, the destruction of parental rights, and the legalization of marijuana. So in other words, you're going to have a bunch of stoned baby killers in Ohio. It was really bad. It's a very bad result. I worry about it happening in other states. Again, this shows the dominance of heavily populated blue cities over the rest of the state. Ohio geographically is a very red state, but you get dominant groups in the cities that are very liberal and they can dominate elections like this that are statewide. 
There was a pre-election to this that was more important in my opinion. A couple of months ago, there was an election to make it a 60% threshold instead of 50%, 51% to change their constitution. Now imagine that. They can change their constitution by 50% plus one vote. That doesn't make any sense. That creates no stability. It allows wild swings. The framers of the United States Constitution would have been very against that. In fact, that's why you have to have two-thirds of the states or two-thirds of Congress to propose amendments and three-quarters to ratify. For them, it's 50% plus one vote. And so it's a bad standard. They tried to change it to 60%. They got beat back by the pro-abortionists and the pro-marijuana legalization. And there's a lesson in this for all of us. If you're a conservative, You've got to give money and you've got to put your time and effort in. And the left spent way more money legalizing abortion and legalizing marijuana than the right did to defeat those things. So we're going to have to figure that out. I don't necessarily think it's the fact that we have a losing issue. I think we're not spending enough money. Our big donors are not coming hard enough, are coming in hard enough. Our small donors are not coming in hard enough. We're going to have to do something. I also think. Uh, when you look at what happened there and in Virginia, also in Kentucky, by the way, the Democrat governor in a very red state was reelected, Andy Bashir. He shouldn't have been. Daniel Cameron, I thought, was a decent candidate that could have beat him. But here's the problem. You look at that and you look at what happened in these places. I think that if you look at issues, people think we have winning issues, right? So people will say, Lower taxes, smaller government, anti-abortion, anti-pro-marijuana legalization. Those are winning issues. And, and they talk a lot about silent majority. We're the silent majority. Well, if we are, we're not showing up at the polls. So I don't think any issue is a winning issue or a losing issue. I think the question is, what kind of narrative do you build around an issue? And can you build a narrative in a way that's appealing around an issue? And the team that builds the better narrative, the team that does the better advertising, the team that does the better messaging is going to convince the electorate to vote for them. And I think Republicans have traditionally been very, very bad at this. And we ourselves are going to have to get a lot better at this, or we're just going to continue to lose all the elections. Uh, one last uh, election that took place was Mississippi. There was a governor election there, and that's Tate Reeves. Tate was a supporter of Convention of States. He got reelected as governor. Mississippi went pretty well overall, all the way down the ticket. So that was the bright spot. But I still think we've got to reexamine how we message things and how we narrate things. To me, that's the election result lesson. All right. Uh, there's an odd story that just came out that I just picked up before I was going on the air tonight. Apparently, the Biden administration in Health and Human Services now has a pronoun mandate. And by a pronoun mandate, what I mean is, there's a dude sitting in the cubicle next to you. He tells you, hey, I know I look like a dude, but I'm actually a woman. And so you need to call me she, her, ma'am, whatever I want to be called from now on because I think I'm a woman. So this is actually a mandate now in Health and Human Services. There are job consequences if you don't do this. This is cultural Marxism. This is insanity. And the one thing I want to say is I don't care what the consequences are. You should never do this. I don't care if you're going to have your job threatened. You should never do this. This is not reality. And they're trying to force you to live in a way that refuses to acknowledge reality. And you should not play that game with them. I will never play that game. They can ban me from social media. They can ban me from Fox, whatever, whatever outlet they want to ban me from. I will never say that a man is a woman or a woman is a man. 
you're whatever gender you're born, no matter what your crazy mind tells you. So this is another mess being pushed on us by this administration. This is just cultural Marxism and it's really bad. All right, I'm gonna go to my final subject today before I go to Q and A. Uh, before I do, I, I have to do something. I want you to see where my heart is at and where my mind is at every single day right now. And that is, I'm gonna do, Yeah, I'm not doing a strip tease here, I promise. You don't have to worry about that. So this is not a drag show or some weird thing like that. But I have to show you, if you look at the shirt that I'm wearing, and you can see very clearly that it says Israel. And it's got a big Jewish star on it and it says, I support Israel. I stand with Israel. I am almost every day when I'm out and about in town, I am wearing a shirt like this. Not this exact shirt, but I bought a whole bunch of them. I bought stickers that I put on my car that show I support Israel. And I want you to understand why I'm doing this. And, and there are several reasons. The biggest reason of all is the existential cultural reason. What we see taking place in Israel right now is not a fight between Israel and Hamas. Of course, that's happening. Uh, it's not just a fight between Israel and Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, of course, that's happening. Uh, it's not just about a horrifying barbaric terrorist attack in which over 1,500 Israeli, Israelis died. Of course, that's the reality. And I encourage you, if you've not seen the videos, if you have not looked the atrocities in the face, you should do that. This is not even a conflict between Israelis, Jews, and the Arab world. That's not big enough. This is a conflict between civilizations. This is a war between Western civilization and the barbarians. And the barbarians are not at the gate. They're inside the gate. The barbarians broke through the walls in Israel and slaughtered 1,500 people. If you've not seen the video again, watch it. Babies shot in the face in their cribs, women raped in the most brutal fashion until they died, grandparents killed, children thrown into ovens, literally, babies thrown into ovens and baked alive while their mothers were raped. This is literally stuff that's on video. That is a clash of civilizations. And what the Hamatsis, the Hamas Nazis are openly saying, what other countries are saying is that they intend to commit genocide. And it's not just genocide against the Jews. They say first they come for the Saturday people. They mean the Saturday Sabbath of the Jews. And then they come for Sunday people. And that means Christians like a lot of us. I'm a Jewish Christian. I'm lucky. I fall in both categories that they want to kill. So there is a genocidal civilization that wants to wipe out the West. And we're gonna have to face that and we're gonna have to stand against that if our society is to survive. And I'm not just talking about America. We're talking about tens of thousands of people marching in the streets in America, yes, that are pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist, pro-Nazi, pro-genocide, yes, but you're talking about even more across Europe. Western civilization is going to collapse in on and on itself unless you and I stand up. So why do I wear an Israel shirt? Like, is that a big deal to put on a t-shirt? Isn't that the same as maybe like putting a little Israel flag on as an icon on social media or something like that, which I think you should do too. It's not the same, it's more. I go out in public in this shirt because I want people to understand there is public support for Israel and that we are not afraid. We are the standard bearers for Western civilization and we cannot be afraid. We have to be fully in the fight. We have to be willing to take the fight to the rest of the world that wants to push back against 
American civilization and Western civilization at large. It's up to you and me. I There's a protest taking place this week in Austin, and I'm saying this with full understanding of the term that I'm using. I'm tired of people misusing the term Nazi, but when you believe in the genocide of the Jewish population, I think the term Nazi probably applies. And I couldn't be there, but one of my friends said, would you go? And I said, yeah, I would absolutely go. And he said, wasn't it dangerous? And I said, yeah, it's probably dangerous. These people are violent. We've now had uh, older Jewish gentlemen that got killed in Thousand Oaks, California, hit over the head uh, by a Palestinian, pro-Palestinian, pro-Nazi protester. We've had a synagogue leader outside of Dearborn, Michigan, brutally stabbed and murdered. There's a lot of this stuff going on all over the country right now. Jew, Anti-Jewish hate crimes are up 400% at last count in America over this time last year. Yeah, it's dangerous. And yeah, we got to go anyway. Now is the time for courage. Courage is the testing point of all other virtues. And so the question is, do you have courage? Do we have courage? Will we stand as members of Western civilization? Will we stand as Americans against the genocide of Western civilization? Because if we won't, then we're going to lose Western civilization. Western civilization itself is at stake. Western civilization itself is defined as the intersection between Athens and Jerusalem. Our spiritual heart comes from Jerusalem, from our Judeo-Christian value system, from our Jewish heritage, from being what is described, what are described as people of the book. And then our forms of government, our logic, our mathematics, our reasoning come out of Athens. This is the special brew of Western civilization. And this is what some people want to destroy. They call us colonializers. We're the colonizers. We're the people who went over and imposed our will all over the world. And that's how they look at America. And these are sometimes Americans who want to destroy America. They are intersectional, as they call it. BLM, Queers for Palestine. At the root of all of these is a disdain for Western civilization and a desire to destroy Western civilization. And I, for one, am not going to stand by and let that happen. And I, for one, am willing to risk whatever it takes risking in order to prevent that from happening. And that means, if it seems silly to you, I'm sorry, but it means putting on my pro-Israel shirt and going to the grocery store. It means going out in public, being at the gas station. It means going to the movie theater. It means going to the restaurant on Friday night wearing my pro-Israel gear so that people can know that there is support out there for Israel. And if you believe that this is an existential fight, I recommend you do the same. I'm not chilling for any brand. I don't care where you buy them. I don't, I don't care what store you go to. If you're patient, I recommend you go buy them from an Israeli store so they can ship them overseas and those businesses can stay in business. There are a lot of businesses suffering in Israel right now. I did some of that. I bought some of them on Amazon, just more local. But go out and show people where you stand, not just for Israel, but for Western civilization because it's all at stake for your kids, your grandkids, and frankly, it's coming to your front door right now. So stand up and fight. All right, I'm gonna to go to questions and answer before we close out. Uh, first question, Debbie Delaney asks, why does the Speaker of the House need to raise money? And the answer is the Speaker is the most prominent member of the House of Representatives and he controls their leadership pack. And that pack spends money on behalf of candidates and gives money to candidates, uh, primarily incumbents all over the country. And so that PAC needs to function well, needs to raise money, and that's the speaker's job. Ann Branch says, 
Can you clarify something for me? I heard a rumor that Soros is funding COS. Why would they be saying that? <laughs> Do I seem like the kind of a guy that would be funded by Soros? Look, this rumor is spread by the John Birch Society. Uh, and I will just say openly, they are, that's vile, it's evil, it's disgusting, it's degenerate to say something like that. John Birch, uh, John Birch Society, they go out and they, they say stuff that they know is untrue. And what I would say is, look, I would just challenge them. If you have, if anybody ever under any circumstances is any proof of that, bring it to me, right? Proof though. I'm not talking about allegations because it's an outrageous slander. It's offensive. Uh, no, we're not funded by George Soros, but this primarily comes from the John Birch Society. That's why I call them the JBS. That pause is important because they're full of you know what. Uh, and if anybody says it, I would just say it's an outrageous slander and they're stupid and they should quit saying stuff like that. Uh, Mike Leg or Legue says, do you agree that streamlining from three issues down to one may expedite our efforts and narrow the focus utilizing a single end of the spear issue? Uh, Mike, the answer is no. And, and we know this for sure. We look at the history and this is why we chose our three issues, fiscal responsibility, term limits, and um, scope and jurisdictional restraints. Because if you look at the efforts to get to a convention of states throughout American history, and there have been many, and most of them are single issue and they go nowhere because you just can't get enough of the American people on one issue. Also, there's no single issue that's going to solve our problems. We need fiscal restraints. We need term limits, not just on congressmen, but on staffers and bureaucrats. And we need to limit the scope and power of the federal government if we're going to get this behemoth back in the constitutional box. Uh, Brett Sturley asked, once people learn about the Convention of States process, most become supporters. It's a time for choosing. Do you choose courage or to cower? I think Brett's not asking me that question. I think it was rhetorical, but I choose courage. I think most of you choose courage too. I think that's why you're listening to the battle cry. I think that's why you're probably engaged in politics. And if you're not, it's time to get engaged. It's time, as Brett says, to choose courage. Stand up, put on your Israel gear, put on your Convention of States gear. Go to conventionofstates.com, sign the petition, click on the Take Action tab, become a volunteer. Not only be courageous, but get out there and exercise your courage. Have a great week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week on The Battle Cry. This has been the podcast version of The Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.